Welcome back to Therapy Insiders podcast from UpDoc Media. Well, we got 2017 in the books, our first show, new season, new guests, some old guests, and just just a, a lot of really cool stuff that, that we're, we're excited about from Therapy Insiders, but also from all the stuff that we have going on at UpDoc Media. So expect expect a ton of fresh new content from us and from everything we heard the feedback in 2016 and so far early in 2017 it's you've been excited and in turn makes us excited so thank you for that and stay tuned for a lot of cool stuff that we're going to be announcing now on this episode we're kicking it off with scott morrison he is a physical therapist over on the west coast Scott puts out a, a lot of really cool content on exercise, on on the strength and conditioning aspects, on pain science, but really it, he, he's, he's kind of grounded in, in logic, in, in relevance, in reality, and his perspective is, is, is pretty unique. Um, it's p- pretty middle ground, and I, I'm, really, I'm really anxious to hear what you guys think of some of his thoughts and his perspectives and, and how he approaches the treatment and his everyday physical therapy perspective. So look forward to hearing your thoughts. Enjoy the episode and welcome to 2017 with Therapy Insiders. Welcome back to Therapy Insiders Podcast. Dr. Gene Shirakabrad here with Dr. Joe Palmer, Dr. Ersten Religioso. Happy 2017, gentlemen. You're dating the episode, Gene. Welcome. Ersten. Welcome to 2017. How often do we break cardinal sins of podcasting? At, at least once an episode, I would say. Oh, yeah. I was going to say every episode, pretty much. At least once. Okay. You know, the, the way this works is you break the rules enough times, then you start making your own rules because the These past are rules the new don't matter rules. anymore. Exactly. It's date just a new your, standard. Every episode. A new standard. All right. So first episode of 2017, we had an awesome 2016. We closed it out with our episode, kind of summed it all up so we, we could leave it on that. So let's let's move into the future. Did you guys have a good New Year's, first of all? It was good, Gene. Did you uh did you guys stay awake to New Year's? Made it made it to midnight. But not to twelve oh one. Because we were kinda there. We we had friends over, we played um a, a really fun game that is not for anybody that's anywhere near um prude level or if if you're a Puritan or if you don't like cuss words or incredibly um incredibly gross topics we played um cards against humanity which um which have you ever played that game either one of you i have i have it it was really fun we we had friends over we had our kids in the other room they have three kids we have two they were kind of playing their own stuff and um i i I don't remember laughing that hard in in a long time it it was was a lot of fun what you guys do kids in the other room g Oh, yeah, yeah. They came in a couple of times like, hey, can we play with you guys? No, 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 no. Yeah, I heard I heard that about that game. We actually had a uh, big, 
big New Year's planned. And in terms of big, we were just inviting over two other families with actually more kids than us. So what? there's going to be... Yeah, I think one of them had six kids. One of them has five kids. Uh, but yeah, so the, the other one was tied. But we were, we had uh, we bought two decks of exploding kittens, which is the other like number one card game. If you guys never played that, that is that is an amazing amazing card game. But uh, I actually got sick and spent the whole day in bed, and we canceled the party. So that's that was my New Year's. I made it till actually my Fitbit tracked me that I slept sixteen hours straight, um, and was restless like forty times. There's, so there's better ways, Urson, to cancel parties than to pretend that you're sick just because you want to get some sleep. I got 300 steps. It's the only time I ever get to sleep. You know, even when on Father's Day, when, when Nicole says she lets me sleep in, that's usually till like 8 a.m. Yeah, sleeping in with kids <laughs> is, is, is a different beast. That is Working sleeping in with kids. But anyway, sure. that, that's what yeah. we had planned. I think it was uh, it would have been good. Yeah, so it was, it was a good... Not non-eventful New Year, and I think most of them are like that. And I don't, I don't know about you guys, but but I'm not really a resolution type of guy because I think it's it's ridiculous. Like I get the concept and I get the the symbolic nature of, of a, a new year, but like to me, the the difference between a Saturday to Sunday, whether it's a new year or not, doesn't really change. The the, the date changes and everything. To me, I really love uh, what I really like is a reflection of the year versus the future resolution stuff because. By the time the new year comes around, my goals for the next year are way set based on what we're, what I'm doing anyway. It's not like, oh, it's a week from 2017. Let me make my goals and resolutions for the next year. Like that, it, it's a continuous thing. Do Do you have a system for an upcoming year? Do you reflect? Do you make resolutions? Do you just not give a shit? I yeah. I mean, I'm not. Even when I was. Um... In, in PT school, I worked like for several years at a gym, so I definitely saw the the gym the January gym effect where all the gyms would have they should be bustling. They'd have sales, and then even before January, I swear by the like the third week of January, it was back to almost like just dead in the winter. Of course, especially because in Buffalo. But um, yeah, I don't like I don't like resolutions either. But I do like the New Year for setting goals for the year. You know, like a I always look at everything like, what did I accomplish? Look, what did I accomplish? What goals did I meet? Do I need to revise these goals? Um, so, you know, and, and I think I've recently taken to time blocking everything. So I'm basically making everything objective and putting every single thing that I want to do that day on a list and, and on my Google calendar. So um, that's really helped me be a bit more productive. That's a good system. What about you, Joe? Yeah, and I, I, I feel like the the new year is a is a good time to look at what you've done and then uh, plan for plan for the future I, you know I, I hear what you're saying uh, and and I think that uh, even even goals that you set uh, at the new year may may change by the by the time uh, you have to adapt and and uh, you know work with with what you're given throughout the year Um but I think the it is a good a good uh, time to reflect and then to uh, throw throw some things out there so that um, you can start to just because you have have those goals um, the the actionable steps um, that you take to to make those happen um, and start breaking things down. Um, I think that's that's the more important piece. I mean, you, people. 
people with with goals um, and, and New Year's resolutions um, often don't get them get them done because uh, they don't they don't have manageable steps that uh, that they're they're taking to get there. That's a great point because resolutions aren't necessarily goals either. They're kind of grand gestures, grand thoughts, and and a lot of times they're just feelings. How you want to feel to achieve something but goals you know like you said actionable steps to achieve them are a little bit different and I think the distinction we also need to make is the difference between personal goals resolutions and business because when the new year comes around obviously you have to kind of plan out your Q1 and uh, to see how it was and then compare it to last year's Q1 and just um, it's a bit of a different beast as well just to to kind of personal goals and things like that because you kind of have to adjust and make uh, make unique unique goals for that year as well right Joe? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you definitely want to uh, continuously be be adjusting and, and moving forward. Urson, are are you panda planning? What what's your what's your planner called? Panda planning. Yeah, um, that's, that, that's that's one of those. Uh, is that one of those journaling daily, daily things? Reflective journals. Oh, well, actually, I just got the HealthFit Business Daily Domination Journal. Ooh, okay. So, but that is basically, it looks like an offshoot after um, I gave it to my wife for as a stocking stuffer. Because um, I, I do, I, I actually do not like to write. When I took a picture of it uh, and put it on social media for promotion, uh, Gene's like, you got to get a new pen. You got to get a good pen. I'm like, I have, my nice pen is my $130 stylus for my Surface Pro. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I I use the Daily Domination Journal, really something very similar in terms of goal setting, reflecting, things that you're grateful for. Um, I think the system that I looked at that, that they pretty much mirrored, is, it was called the Journal on Amazon. So it's I don't originally yeah, know because it's like every time I every time I look at it, it's like someone oh so and so came up with this, someone 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 you know yeah, some other guru came up with this. So. Bunch of them, bunch of them, yeah. But, but they're all very similar. Self reflection and awareness, I think, is is the is the keys on all those. They they make you right. They make you sit down and write out uh, what what you what you want to do that day. What you what you felt good about the day before. You know what uh, what your right. plan is for the week. And I think the three the, wins for the three wins for the week. I like to. Yeah, it's, know, all, it's, all, it's all the same, but, uh, <laughs> right? I, I think every, every one of these is the same, but, you know, Pretty it, much. it does, it does make you aware of, um, what, what accomplishments you made and, and where you fell short so that you can make up for it in the next day or the next week. Well, it's for also sure. just the action of writing it down when, when you put something, when you do something actionable you the the chance of succeeding are so much greater and then this the writing it down and then scratching it off it's kind of like you know the the concept of making your bed in the morning that you've done the first successful thing as soon as you get up then it kind of sets your yourself up psychologically to snowball positively from there and it's kind of similar with the journals right giving yourself a list like basically instead of just saying oh i should get to inbox zero today or whatever and that's why i started between time blocking and you know time blocking essentially goal writing in on my google calendar and then you know all the other stuff about um reflecting yeah it, it's it's maybe quite a bit more productive in in just personal and business i mean i can see why uh, people have been writing 
their goals down forever <laughs> in terms of I, you, I always have a little notebook with me every everywhere yes. I go. I know Joe always it talks helps. about the notebook. But I I love technology. I'm all teched out, but I got to have my little notebook with me um, right. because it, it keeps me consistent. But you you alluded to something that is not consistent in 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 the fitness kind of resolution way, but it's also very much not consistent in in just non New Year's time frame. Like it's always inconsistent. And oh, that is right. exercise, it's, it's, fitness, strength and conditioning, and mostly really it's integration in, in healthcare and in, and in our world and in, in physical therapy. And um, I think starting this year off, we kind of alluded to last at the end of last year, the, the first few episodes are going to have a lot of emphasis on us kind of talking with some guests and really getting our take and giving our take on the, the fitness exercise and strength and conditioning elements and integration or lack thereof in physical therapy. So I'm, I'm pretty excited to kick this off with, with our guest today and get this kind of little little uh, conversation going or big conversation, see how it ends up. So Urson, first introduction of 2017. Oh man, I'm sweating. The honors, please. Don't yeah. F it up. Seriously. I I, it would be hard to with this one. Take your time. Yeah. Don't call not him doctor. Much, Don't not call him much, doctor. Though. He's not Dr. Scott Morrison. Well, he is, but he doesn't want to be called that. Yeah, for some strange reason. Such a yeah. young, such a young PT, or should I say, physio? He's a Not that young. Well, most most physios his age who have a DPT would love to be called doctor. Not too many of them have that kind of older reverse. Why you got to bring you know, age into this, Arson? Why? I, why? Why? why I'm saying be like ages? people my age, not even like. Joe, you know, even from like when you and Joe graduated, you, you're all about the DPT. But when, you know, people like me had to go back and get a transitional, and and most people got a transitional. I'm like, oh, I'm not a doctor. I, I tattooed real doc doctor. on my bicep like Todd from Scrubs, man. I yeah. carried that around. Seriously, I was so proud to get my doctorate. <laughs> but uh, yeah, don't call him Doctor Scott Morrison. He is a physio. He's a skeptic. He's one of the first skeptics I met online. He's actually one of the first skeptics I met online that I could also relate to because wow. he was like, a, yeah, he was a skeptic that actually engaged you well. Um, but uh, yeah, according to his website, he's a physio, he's a strength coach, he's he's uh, into exercise, fit, fitness, strengthening, all the things that in any evidence-based PT should be into. And I remember just, uh, just last year, I was getting recertified with my CSCS and I had to read a bunch of articles. And uh, I was like, oh, this is a pretty decent article. And I realized it was by Scott Morrison. Look at that. Yeah. Full circle. Yeah. Well, and, welcome, Scott. Welcome, Scott, to Therapy Insiders Podcast, the podcast you have never listened to. <laughs> well, thank you for the uh, long, drawn out, and uh, extrapolated a lot from a few comments uh, introduction. That's what we do. That's um, what we do. Yeah. Welcome. Yeah. So uh, I suppose I should start off by defending the whole doctor thing. Um, sure. I, I don't mind being called doctor. It's not something I introduce myself as. Um, okay, we're going to be calling you doctor. When we say doctor now, we're referring to only to Scott. For the yeah. rest of the um, <laughs> from, from now on, doctor, doctor. I, I just don't, I don't see the need. I'd like to relate to my patients as a uh, individual. Um, I There's a few times where that's mattered, but it's probably a couple times a year. Um, and if they ask, we go into it. But 
it's it's not something again uh, if you're introducing yourself you should also clarify what your doctorate is in so introducing yourself as dr morrison i'll be your physical therapist i think it's perfectly fine and acceptable it's just not the style that uh i usually choose that's fine it's a personal preference urson just like i i don't believe polos exist in the world of business scott doesn't think that there should be that that level of of hierarchy you with doctor patients. You saw me in a you saw me in a polo from like a picture from five years ago on social media. I don't wear polos anymore. Right. So uh, just just to again clarify, I'm not I'm not stating that there should or should not be a hierarchy. I'm saying within my practice and my personal introduction, how I relate with the world. Um, that if really I'm, I guess I just you know I've I've been me. For most of my life, my accomplishments uh, tag along with me, but it's not how I introduce myself. Wait, what part of your life were you not you? Uh, you know, people go through a lot of significant changes. Um, I've, you know, reinventing themselves and stuff like that. Uh, that's never really been something that I've done a lot of. Got it. Got it. Let, let's. There's one thing I want to touch on before we get into strength and conditioning because you post a lot of pictures of fly fishing and oh, yeah. wilderness where does that come from because you and i talked about fishing a little bit in our memories and how fond we are of them is it, is it a childhood thing that has recently come back up or has it been a consistent thing that you've enjoyed oh i've fished my entire life um i was i don't remember how old i think i was telling you earlier i don't remember much of my childhood so but one of the memories that i do have was uh, looking at a centerfold of a fishing book actually i know that went a sort of different way um, of a guy standing in the middle of the river casting a fly rod, and I always thought it was a beautiful sort of solitude art and uh, still something that I enjoyed. So throughout my life, as I was able, I got more and more uh, invested in it, and uh, I really honestly don't remember when I started fishing. It's always been something I've done, um, but over the years, I've gotten more and more into the fly fishing side of things. Do you actually catch fish? I actually do, Yes. Yes. Uh, no, I release. Uh, I have not kept a fish in a long, long time, um, and I also only like catching pretty fish. Like I don't like touching fish that I don't like how they look. So I'm a little picky. <laughs> what about eating? Do you eat fish that you don't like the way they look, or? Uh, not that often. Um, I don't eat fish that often, so it's kind of. I don't like salmon that much. Um, I I like tuna. I like uh, mahi. Yeah. You know, some, so. some of those fish you throw back, they might have a nice personality. They might they might yeah. be kind of hurt that you don't think they're pretty. I know. You can't well, judge I a don't, fish by its color. I, <laughs> I don't catch the ones that are uh, ugly. So yeah. that just sort yeah. of eliminated all that. The ugly fish is what you're saying. Right. You use handsome, <laughs> you use handsome and pretty lures. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Selective. Yeah, technique, Selective technique is only for the pretty. That's fish. why. That's why you fly fish. You can just be that's, so specific with those lures. Yeah. It's, it's the same as targeted marketing, right? Exactly. <laughs> Retarded. Yeah. Your, 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 audience. your audience is pretty right. handsome fish. Fair enough. Absolutely. Fair enough. So let, let's um, let's uh, dive back into something probably a little bit more relevant for most of the people listening, if they're still listening. At this I point. know we're 20 minutes in. We haven't started talking about <laughs> exercise yet. Goal of 2017. Let's see how long we can stretch out these episodes before we talk about anything relevant. Um, the, the strength and conditioning piece, what's been kind of your progression at, as you've 
grown in the in in the physical therapy world and and you've seen some stuff and I'm sure you've been frustrated by a lot of the the same stuff a lot of us have been and uh, we've seen a lot of stuff that you've been posting and again Erson kind of alluded to it and you have an awesome site with a lot of resources for exercises when when did you reach that point where like why are we not really doubling down on this kind of stuff well, I came into physical therapy with a background in strength and conditioning. That's where, you know, my undergrad education and I worked as a trainer through um, part of that. Uh, started working for a medical fitness center where I ran multiple different programs, um, you know, all the way from sports specific through childhood obesity, diabetes type stuff. So I, I would say that it wasn't a progression of uh, throughout physical therapy, all of a sudden realizing, oh, hey, this is a problem. Um, I, I walked into it with my eyes fairly open um, from an exercise perspective. And I guess it was more just as I would have conversations more and more of the same questions were coming up and that's really what drove the whole I think you're talking about the Therax database that I finally put up because everybody kept asking for well what are good exercises for this what are good exercises for this and it just I guess to me reveals a little bit of a misunderstanding of exercise prescription if your first choice or what you're looking for are good exercises um and so that was sort of the impetus behind throwing together a lot of resources that if you read through them, you'll come out the other end, uh, I, I think, a better uh, professional than you uh, started. I like that. So let, let's touch on that a little bit uh, because people often look at the exercises and I feel like the, the dosing and the, the load capacity becomes a secondary measure do you think it needs to be the other way around you have to understand loading capacity and dosage and then find the exercise or is it just there really isn't it, it all kind of works together well what we do i mean all we do no matter what we're whether exercise manual therapy whatever we the intervention that we use it's uh really it's stress management right all we're doing is interacting perturbing the system so that adaptations occur along a path that we hope uh, to or to our best uh, knowledge and understanding it's going to be beneficial for whatever goals that have been established that are meaningful for the patient so unless you start off with that uh, it goes i guess it goes back to i quote uh, a lot of different books and uh douglas adams in hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy um deep thought is this computer if you've never read the book that basically billions, hundreds of millions of years to come up with the answer to the question what is the meaning of the life the uni of life the universe and everything oh, and man. the uh, i've yeah, tried the, 42 in a couple of weeks yeah. So, yeah, 42, right, is the yeah. answer. And they all get very irritated with him. And I think something very relevant is the reply where he says, I think the problem is that you didn't understand the question. Once you understand the question, the answer makes sense. And I think too often, you know, uh, uh, let's use the example of an exercise. Plugging in an exercise or learning a new exercise, that's just an answer. Throwing an answer at a wall randomly is not going to be beneficial. Understanding the question is really what matters. And then a lot of the answers start making sense and it becomes a lot easier to move forward once you understand what you're looking for and the pathway to get there. And then the exercise just, you know, they don't matter. I mean, they do matter, but they sort of just, it emerges out of everything else. Right. 
So the matter and it doesn't matter is a is a funny thing these days in, in what I call modern PT research or physio research, should we say. Um, because, you know, whether it's manual therapy or exercise, basically people are saying like, oh, this this article says that it really doesn't, the technique doesn't matter and, and the exercise doesn't matter because in general people are going to get better. And, and actually, I, I agree with that. But then if you start off as a new grad, like what would you tell a new grad? Because because, you know, I still have things to choose from and I have experience to choose from and I, I know it works and I know what the evidence says. But if you look at only the evidence like that, you would think that you could just do whatever you want, which isn't necessarily true. Like it's true and it's not true because not everything is going to work. It's just that the majority of people get better no matter what you choose. Otherwise, people who do DNS only or McKenzie only or PRI only wouldn't get 80% of people better either. Right. right. So, so, so what do you tell new grads that when – when they read this and they think uh, they don't know where to go actually. Right. Well, I would start off with, I, I slightly, maybe not disagree, but I would backpedal a little bit and say that that's not really what, you know, one or two studies is not the body of evidence. So it all starts with understanding the body of evidence. And if you're a new grad and you haven't spent time in the literature, your understanding of that is going to be mostly um, specific to the program you graduated from, uh, which may or may not have really given you a background in exercise science and or any of these other aspects. Um, so step one is spend some time learning what the body of knowledge says, not just going off, you read one paper and uh, or two papers or even five. I mean, there's thousands of papers, for instance, on ACL research. Um, it's You need to have a little bit of an understanding of the overall scope of where the body of knowledge is at in order to make an informed decision forward. Um, second, realize the fact that a lot of what we do doesn't matter and um, be okay with uncertainty, I think is, you know, where it comes down to is a lot of what we do. Yeah. It's a regression to the mean. And, um, you know, just the fact that natural history occurs and, um, it does. And you have to be comfortable with realizing that maybe what you did mattered, maybe it doesn't. And even if you get a test retest and everything changes wonderfully, it doesn't necessarily mean that you were right. And even if you, you know, nothing happens, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're wrong. Um, we're not dealing with certainty. And I think learning to learning to work within uncertainty and spending some time learning the body of knowledge is probably the best way to come out of it without, you know, latching on to any one thought process or any one um, viewpoint as right uh, and looking at everybody else or everything else as wrong. Yeah, I think it's good advice. I mean, because in school... Um, and, and granted, also students are getting exposed to a lot of, of gurus out there with social media that th it's definitely presented and in most commercial based courses are also presented as this is just our way or the highway or you're, you're never going to achieve success unless you adopt our system in full. So it's it just taught that there's a right and a wrong way to do it. I feel right. like that's Would, a lot less now, though. Like the whole guru thing. Then e even half a decade no. ago, that it was it was it was a lot more prompt, uh, prevalent than it is now. It's still there. Like it, it's definitely still there. But uh, uh, to me, it seems like there there's a lot more um, diverse and openness, at least to to challenge, to question, not effectively or well, or or I think 
the, the biggest thing still missing is the ability to have a discussion and an argument and keep it on principle versus personal. I think that that's still a gigantic issue because we're not taught how to debate in school. And similar, like we talk with business, we're not taught business. Um, but the guru, the guru thing, I mean, am I, am I reading that wrong, Scott? You think I it's don't still, know. Like, I heard Scott. I, I, know. I would say, yeah, also, it's you're, still, you're, you're it's, just hanging out with the wrong, you're just all hanging out with the right yeah. people. Yeah. With gurus? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. No, there's probably more gurus and there's more access to gurus. It's just because there are more, this, you know, just my personal opinion. If you remove the prevalence of social media and things like that, whatever course came to your area is the first guru that you latched on to. Whereas in today's world, you can be exposed to multiple multiple gurus and it's the same principle as uh, you know think of used car sales tactic what, what is a guru but i think because because you have the ability to sample all these all the all the different gurus that uh, you are more likely to to have somebody fall somewhere in the middle rather than on on one extreme so that that's where I was going with the idea of used car sales techniques of the 70s versus today. They've changed significantly in large part because of the fact that people have been exposed to them. Um, and so I think the marketing and the approach of these people is changing as a result of the fact that it's just there is so much noise out there. Um, so, so the level of guruism might not be as blatant, um, but I... I mean, you know, you ask, what's the definition of a guru? And that's there. You ask 10 people, you probably get 10 different answers. Um, typically, you know, how, where I would start drawing a guru line is somebody who ascribes more to their own belief system and is unwilling to examine it um, from an alternative uh, perspective. Somebody who's unwilling to accept evidence uh, alternative to what they believe and somebody who just promotes and pushes their belief um, without really challenging those who are listening to also be critical consumers of the information. I think that's fair. Um, and uh, I know like one, one of the things I, I, that stuck with me um, when Joe and I took a course from Jim Meadows, who was very much in guru status, um, was, was he, he said once, like, you always try to prove yourself wrong, not try to prove yourself right. And like, that kind of mentality has always stuck with me. And there, there's got to be so many perspectives. And, and I've said it before in this podcast, I used to be incredibly gung ho manual therapy, like, right, Joe, like, did, at, at that point, did you, was there anyone that you knew more into manual therapy than me? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, like, single track mind, in, incredibly combative. Um, everything was manual therapy fixes everything. And I mean, it, it's been, I still think that there's a use for it, but like where I was and where I am now is, is completely different because I, I just, I, I can't, I can't imagine not adjusting to everything that's coming out in terms of not just the literature, but just putting the pieces together from real life, putting, putting literature and, and evidence into real world practice. And again, integrating integrating strength and conditioning and exercise principles into practice like if, if that's not happening on a in a fairly wide common large scale at this point i, I just I, I don't get how you can practice comfortably can i uh just sort of detour slightly into a mild Please. pet peeve of mine um yes. you mentioned integrating strength and conditioning and exercise principles into practice i think that's mildly bullshit um 
exercise yeah exercise is not something that you integrate it's what we do it's our approach we deal with movement we deal with all these things so the the concept that this is some alternative tool being added i i i take a little bit of issue with um i know that the term uh hybrid strength coach and pt is also being used and i i can't speak for anybody who uses that but i don't identify with that at all i consider myself a strength coach i consider myself a physical therapist i continue i consider exercise along a continuum and i just happen to straddle a larger part of the continuum because i deal with people in a non uh, therapeutic sense as well um, I, I think that any sort of demarcation between, oh, hey, this is cool, let's add it in, is missing the point of the fact that what we do as therapists should be along these principles. That's sort of the guidelines of, that's how we interact. So I said earlier that stress modification and uh, manipulation is what we do. That's how we do it. Um, so therapeutic exercise is strength and conditioning principles. These aren't alternative things that we add in. Right. So Scott, Scott, mm-hmm. let me let me ask you a question. Um, if if you to take take your uh, physio mind and then take take your strength coach mind and tell me what when you when you're looking at a patient, what do you think the the main differences are um, between between you looking at it from a strength coach perspective and a physical therapy perspective? So, and that's my point, is I don't see a demarcation between the two. I see a person in front of me, and whatever their goals are determines what we're doing. Um, The fact that I am a licensed physical therapist allows me to step into the realm of pathology, pain, um, injury, and uh, those sort of things. There There isn't this, oh, I'm a strength coach mindset and I'm a PT mindset in my personal view i believe that um it's just that, again that continuum of movement if you specialize in one area you're going to be a little bit narrower but the person who stands in front of me their goals dictate what we do correct but your knowledge base dictates how you approach that patient so well yes that, that or that client uh, right so i guess uh, you know, when I when I look at uh, the difference to me between a strength coach and a physical therapist is, you know what, a physical therapist is probably more boring. And, <laughs> and, and I I would I would completely disagree with that. Um, just because everything you do is boring, if you do it enough, um, every job. I mean, <laughs> you you punch the clock eighty percent of the time, regardless of what profession you're in. Strength coach just happens to be, you know, you might be up at four a.m. working without with the team and finishing up at seven at night. The hours they work is insane. Right, right. No, I'm, no, no disagreement there. So, so I guess if if you're coaching, so you you constantly, constantly have to. Um, Keep keep it fresh. Keep it, keep them motivated. You have to be a lot more creative. Uh, not not necessarily. Yeah, no, not even. I mean, a lot of the basic programming is very simple, very basic. Um, I mean, you can get creative, but a lot of what works best is, I mean, Bill Starr's five by five. It's really hard to beat that. I, and it's I, a basic boring I, program. I, I, I agree. I, I side on the on the hey, keep it keep it simple, but. Um, I, I guess I guess it depends on your market too. Uh, well, yeah. So I, if if you if you're if you're 
coaching in a gym and and somebody's somebody's coming in uh i i think they they require a certain amount of uh amusement amusement yeah yes so so a personal (laughs) trainer is dealing with a lot of amusing somebody one-on-one as well as getting to the goals that they're looking for a strength coach doesn't usually have as many of those demands um and so it's a little bit more boring um in my personal opinion but uh, yeah, I, I think your your yeah. point's fair. Uh, it depends on the person, but personal training is a one-on-one. You're working with someone who's paying you, and kind of like I mean, PT to some extent uh, is the same, except that their insurance is covering it, whereas the other person they're coming and paying you because you know they want to be there, as opposed to well, I hurt, and so I need to see you. Right. Yeah, I heard what you're saying about the integration. Like, it, it shouldn't be an integration. But uh, one of the researchers is also a lot into exercise, who I actually, he said it's off mic, so I can't really say, because I, I asked him this um, off mic, because it was something that I found teaching um, DPT students for years um, at three different schools, is I found that the students who were personal trainers like yourself, who basically just worked out all the time or were athletes, we're just much better at exercise prescription and and programming than and the ones who didn't basically ever work out a day in their lives or just not with any kind of coach or just work out regularly they were the ones who were always going back to like whatever Kisner and Colby or they they would have to they would have to look at a book to find out yeah. what should i do for the shoulder like, do you find that that's true too? Like, I think that's why they say oh, of it needs to be integrated because the people who, people who have never done it, they they're just, they're the ones who are just they're not loading properly, they're not challenging right. the so, tissues. They're not, so yeah. let me let me rephrase it then. I believe that strength and conditioning principles, exercise prescription principles, is a fundamental concept of physical therapy. And any time that, so the examples that you're using of someone who does not have the ability and background, if they're coming out of school without that, then that's been a failure somewhere throughout the path because they should be able to do that at that point. So it's not something that's added on afterwards. It's something that's uh, a loss or a lack that should have been there. It's an entry level skill. Now, obviously you get better as you go along, but the concepts, even just the basic concepts of exercise, that that should be something that, I mean, as a physical therapist, especially if we're ascribing to the idea that we're the movement experts, whatever that means, that's something that we should come out of, you know, as we get our license and day one, we should have those abilities within a competency level. So if the minimum wasn't good enough, then it wouldn't be the minimum is something I like to say. Um, where the minimum is at for strength and conditioning is probably less than the understanding that a strength coach would have unless you're working within the environment of elite athletes. Um, But an understanding of exercise prescription should just be that's what physical therapists are do. Right. Do you think, do you think the biggest or in terms of, in terms of dosage and loading, do you think it's underloading too much loading or improper loading that's the biggest issue in physical therapy um that's 
you know, I think underloading, if I was going to make a blanket statement, um, if adaptations are necessary, underloading is definitely something seen. Um, Overcomplication would be probably something that goes right up in there, right? You don't need 15 different exercises. Um, Can you list off a handful of kind of go-to exercises that that are almost universal that people should be at least at least have some baseline awareness and competency and comfort with um sit to stand no you know that's that's going back to the idea of starting with an exercise what's your population who are you trying to do so is there's there's a few exercises that are standard because they've been around a long time i mean your squat deadlift press, pull, you know, if, you, if you're going to design a program, push, pull, hinge, and squat pattern are always good ones. But as far as saying a, oh, this is a good exercise everyone should be competent with, you can, I mean, you can go your whole career not doing an exercise and do phenomenally. Um, so I, I have a little hard time saying, oh, this is an exercise everyone should do. Your population dictates it. And even within there, there's a lot of leeway. So you don't think every single person should be able to do a squat or do a hip hinge or be able to do a deadlift or be able to do those those that most most would say are fundamental movements that are just um, loaded with weights or or challenged somehow for the tissue. Right. So there's a difference between a squat, a deadlift and a hip hinge. Hip hinge describes a general movement that many exercises can be plugged in underneath. Sure. Um, deadlift and squat are both less um, general, but still there's multiple uh, aspects of the squat, multiple aspects of the deadlift that could be done. So no, I, w- I would not say that you, you can go your entire career without doing a back squat and do very well by your patients. I think it's an exercise that's worth knowing. Um, it's an exercise that a lot of people know, and it works. You know, it's still around now because it's worked well for many years. There's a lot to be said for that, um, but yeah. Okay, that's fair enough. I mean, it, it's it's unique to to each person. Um, I, I think some of it is is semantics to some extent, and and kind of picking and choosing how how you want to phrase it, which which is again understandable and and. I kind of appreciate the fact that you don't make blanket statements because that that's so easy to do, especially when having a conversation and um, obviously specificity to a certain case. It's always ideal when dealing with with things like that. So to to talk to kind of break that down um, a little bit, and if a patient comes to you, what what is your or when a patient comes to you, what is your general process of treatment? Subjective? Do you do a movement screen? Um, what kind of stuff do you go through? Let, let's say low back pain patient comes in. Well, nothing we do matters. So we just tell them that if the pain's in their head and then every, t- every time you say that, I have uh, Freddie Mercury sing that line <laughs> from Bohemian right. Rhapsody. Nothing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I think it starts with the patient. By the way, I, um, it, it was not above me. The, 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 the little, um, slide joke that you started off with. <laughs> okay, it's all good. in your head sit right. down it's all in your head you son of a bitch all right take some leave go for a walk um honestly again you know i hate being the same broken drum but it really depends on the person um obviously you're going to take a subjective um and then there is an objective 
um, and then we go over and decide a plan of care uh, together. Um, you know, to give some very general thoughts on the process, my uh, I did my uh, PT education at University of St. Augustine and forgot the 18 steps as soon as possible afterwards. I've um, gone through Good old 18 all step of Val. <laughs> um, I've gone through you know all of the Maitlands courses. So from a manual therapy perspective, I gone through a few of the uh, McKenzie and also my first year out was uh, did a sort of mentorship with a MDT clinician so it's definitely influenced by aspects of that sort of the thought process but uh, a subjective is really where you start the the individual in front of you and what their meaning perspective what matters to them is really going to drive a lot of it you might have somebody with low back pain who you have a conversation and at the end of it, you're, yeah, all right, you know, sounds like you'll probably be okay. Here's, let me show you how you can do a few walks. Maybe here's something you can do that might not irritate it. Uh, looking for irritating factors and doing some patient ev- uh, education to get them out of those aspects. And then that might be it. Or it might be somebody else who has some specific aspects and you're going into an in-depth sort of a screen. You know, it, the subjective drives the objective, as you all know. There, I don't know that there's a, this is what I do when someone has low back pain. No, but gosh, you, may, you just brought back nightmares about that 18-step eval. Yes, <laughs> I'm also a USA graduate. And then at the time, though, I totally ate it up because I had genes... Um, you know, I, I basically went through what Gene went through in terms of loving manual therapy. And manual therapy fixes everything, and you have the manual therapist god complex. Except for, for me, it was well over a decade. Well, I, I still have that. Right, right, right. I can get rid of everything. It's not just manual therapy now. Um, not, not it's business. Uh, yes, I've grown. I've grown <laughs> right. god complex. Yes, just switched it from one one thing to another. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, no, this... hashtag growth mindset. <laughs> right, good old eighteen steps. Um. It's, yeah, I, I guess I probably had a little different perspective than that. Um, I, I don't know of any point where I really came into, I'm, I'm interested, you know, obviously I've done a lot of education from a manual therapy perspective. I use it uh, within my clinic a lot um, with my patients. Um, it fits even into with, the overall. Eric, you actually touch people? My gosh, craziness. Well, I, I, you know, we all practice how we decide to there. Exactly. Um, I, <laughs> we all get no judgment. We all get people yeah. better. And right. Well, and also patient population plays a huge role in that. If I have somebody who's dealing with headaches, there's going to be probably a little bit more hands-on than if I'm dealing with someone post-op ACL. Uh, it's just the nature of who they are. Um, I think dictates some of that as well. Um, Plus I guess nothing really I, matters. Right. Nothing nothing matters unless it does, in which case you better do it, um, which comes back to asking the right question. So being, the ability to identify what does matter is probably the hardest thing, but also the best thing that we can do uh, within, you know, whether it's exercise or clini- uh, the, as a clinician. Identification of what matters, application of that, and then tracking the progress and you know adjusting based off of the presentation of the person in front of you that's what manual therapy is that's what exercise is that's what again all of these things are just different colors of the same 
idea, which is stress manipulation right. to drive adaptation. Yeah, starting with the history is important. I think people are always surprised, and it's kind of an unfortunate brand, I guess, being the manualtherapist.com, that when they see me do an evaluation that I almost talk with the patient for sometimes 30 to 40 minutes, and then I'll do uh, maybe five to 10 minutes of intervention, and then um, then the rest of it is education, but the whole kind of 30 to 40 minutes was all, all filled with education to begin with. So that's something I took a, a lot for, away from Mackenzie as well, is really just that that education and people who don't get the like the first basic MDT courses are like man I just spent four days like learning how to read a form and it's like it's not the form though it's the it's the interaction it's like a systematic interaction which is what I really liked about it I mean they're still narrow in their scope and how to treat things and viewing everything as mechanical but I think at some point you do need a system and it is a good place to start because it does teach you how to interact with the patient rather than just say like you know VAS when what happens are you and then that most people just think oh they're subacute acute or chronic and that's it you know now let's get to pulling out the goni i think uh, something that maitland did a really good job of is the subject of interview um, and if you've never read his chapter on that it's definitely worth it um, but a lot of times you know even within getting asking the person questions to falsify what you're thinking you know a lot of times we'll do some intervention, test, retest, it's better. I'm like, does that surprise you? And they're like, no, it usually feels better if I do something. So then all of a sudden you're over there thinking, oh, hey, this is what needs to be done. And, oh, well, anything would have mattered for that person. Or somebody's like, yeah, that that's a surprise. Um, so, you know, it goes a lot of it goes back to this idea of being skeptical and applying it across the board. You don't get to pick and choose. You don't get to be a pseudo-skeptic where, oh, this – these are my principles that I won't question. These are the ones that I will and hop back and forth between them. If you're going to apply a critical thinking sort of cognitive approach, that that goes across the board and it should be in everything you do. Um, yeah, for sure. I want to give out some shout outs to Mike SPT, Jared Aguilar, uh, Will Butler. And, and we didn't really answer Chris's question because it was more of a fishing <laughs> question. Um, but we we kind of integrated a bunch of their questions in the discussion. Uh, but but Jared did ask, um, what do you think about the CSCS? Do you think it's going to lose its ROI in the future? Well, what is its ROI? Um, I mean, I I don't un I I guess I don't one hundred percent understand the question. The CSCS is just a representation of a level of knowledge uh, that the NSCA utilizes it's pretty standardized across within the u.s other nations have their own i i don't i think the roi with that is kind of you get what you're looking for if you're looking as far as the fact that studying for it and then taking a formalized test will make you better then no absolutely it won't lose its roi um if you're looking at it as you know somebody some i guess it would be clinic by clinic whether or not they feel that it's valuable um, but the CSCS it's not about having letters it's the idea is that it's a formalized test of basic knowledge of strength and conditioning principles and there's enough information out there on the idea that taking a formalized test does help you study better does help you remember better um, so the CSCS to me represents a 
great way for somebody who hasn't really gotten this elsewhere to spend some time studying it and then making sure that it's uh, tested against some criterion that their understanding is actually within lines of the general consensus. Does that answer the question? Oh, how the hell am I supposed to know? It was Mike's question. We'll find out after this <laughs> episode. Sounded good enough. It makes sense. It um, was, it was Jared, Jared, but uh, yeah, I, yeah, I, I guess the R. It depends on what you feel its ROI is now. Um, if you think that the CSCS is just standalone adding something just because it's there, then I, I don't think it's going to change because I don't think it's really something that within PT isn't really adding that much. I don't think that any other certification is really going to supersede it. Um, I know there's some that are coming out there and there's always new ones coming out. Um, I go with CSCS because the NSCA does most of the research in the U.S. Uh, on the strength and condition. I think uh, ACSM would be just as well. It's probably more clinical uh, in nature. But at the end of the day, I, I don't know that there's any ROI inherent to the CSCS within the PT outside of just subjecting yourself to learning and then testing it against a set standard to see how you do. I agree with that. I think standardized testing, any standardized testing, unless you're, you have to take it, forced to take it, um, aside from credentialing and the marketing of you getting better, the actual test um, and, and kind of personal satisfaction of accomplishing it, I, I don't see the value. I think the value is on the, on the front end of the studying, learning the information, getting the knowledge, and then the, the confirmation or reaffirmation that you actually are able to synthesize that knowledge in a way that is that is specific very specific to whatever organization is making that test how it translates to to practice that well really is I, like there there is there is a little bit of uh data to back up the idea that studying for a standardized test and taking a standardized test increases your retention of the knowledge um and or just makes you learn it uh better so there you know i i think that testing plays a role and the idea of the test being designed by so whether it's boards or uh, cscs or whatever you know if it's designed by an industry that is the leader in whatever realm they're testing you on and these are uh, test questions that have been validated and put through a process it's probably not a bad idea um, so I, I don't think that the test is useless. I think it plays a role. It's no, just, not useless, but ROI, right? What, what, is, so, what is the actual return on investment, investment of time, investment of finances? Like you said, it really depends on the person taking it. And what exactly, and what, and what they do with it afterwards. Exactly, exactly. Have the implementation of, of it afterwards, which is incredibly unique. Like somebody, somebody like myself, again, more of a nonconformist, then um, I, I, I would find more value in the information before the test I'd be perfectly happy with getting that information and studying and reading and absorbing that knowledge. And I, I, I could be fine without taking a test where somebody else having those letters and, and being able to integrate that information becomes a whole different conversation right. on our life. Right. Although to, to give a little bit of a nod to it, if you're, when it comes to conversation, not, not everybody who has a CSCS is great. Um, I know some who aren't, but, the CSCS starts a conversation at a certain level, just like the DPT starts a conversation at a certain level, just like the OCS starts a conversation at a certain level. 
you know that you know it doesn't tell you that the person's great but you know that they've been exposed to a certain set of thoughts and ideas so from a communication perspective i think it's beneficial can it just tell you they're a good test taker it, it could but the, you have to have a basic understanding of what that is yeah, that of, makes sense. of what's being tested that makes sense um so there you go, Jared. I hope I hope you uh, you got something out of that. So the ROI is very much dependent on you and how you will utilize it. All right. Well, uh, we'll put all of Scott's information. Thanks. Um, thanks for the time, man. Thanks for the chat. It was. Um, I know it, it's a lot of people are probably going to have to re-listen and kind of process everything because it's it, it's different. It, it's it's a different way to to process and to treat and to think and and um, to to really look at the profession from from strength and conditioning and like you said integration and it should just be a foundation it shouldn't be an integration it should just be right i i would tend to agree with myself on that one <laughs> and it, it's a good thing when you start to agreeing with yourself unless unless it right. isn't yeah first, no I, first step to guruism agree with yourself <laughs> right but i also agree that i'm not sure if i know what i'm talking about either so <laughs> there's <laughs> but you're still agreeing. So. Right. I, I'm agreeing with it. But, I, you know, it's, again, it goes back. Challenge. Challenge it. But you still have to have something that you work forward from. So it's the the combination of it's fun to, to have theories and uh, dig into it, and you absolutely always should. However, you do need to have something that when you're dealing with someone, you actually do something with them. Just standing in front of them and rambling or you know taking different stabs in the dark without a system or a process is not going to do anyone any services absolutely and i think it, it also amounts to willingness like you have to be willing to do it you have to be willing to challenge yourself and you have to be willing to to challenge your biases and uh, and grow and grow from there yeah absolutely and it has to apply across the board you don't get to pick and choose I like that. I like that. All right, guys, uh, check out Scott. We'll put all his information out. Definitely check out the uh, exercise database. Joe, welcome to 2017, my friend. It's a good way to start <laughs> it off. It is a good way to start it off. All right, we'll, we'll catch you later. Hey. Hey, you. Yes. Yes, you. Stop looking around. Yes, I'm talking to you. Thanks for listening to Therapy Insiders. Hope you enjoyed this episode with scott morrison let us know what you think tweet at us at updoc media at therapy insiders at the ompt at joe dpt check us out at updocmedia.com go to blog go to podcast hell go anywhere you want we got some cool stuff also definitely check out our facebook page updoc media got new videos coming out new content always every day new cool shit coming out check it out thanks for listening catch you next week on Therapy Insiders Podcast from Updoc Media.